Welcome to Oak City Church, a family of learners, lovers, and givers sent. For more information, visit us online at oakcitychurch.com. Let us know if we can help you in any way. Thank you for listening. Okay. Um, I'm going to read the Romans, and uh, I need you guys to stand up. And please, at the end, when I say this is the word of the Lord, you respond with, thanks be to God. Don't let me forget that part. Okay, so I read Romans. It's Romans 1, 8 through 15. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you, because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I mention you always in my prayers, asking that somehow by God's will I may now at least succeed in coming to you. For I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you, that is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented, in order that I may reap some harvest among you as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish, so I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. This is the word of the Lord. Becky Fitzgerald, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks, Becky. Welcome to Oak City Church. My name is Jeff. We're really glad that you're here this morning. This is um, week two in a series in Romans that is going to last a minute. It's gonna be, we're going to be in Romans for a little while. And this passage, in um, reading through it over the past um, weeks and months, um, what stuck out to me so much about this passage was, that it was about Paul, and that Paul is ambitious without being obnoxious. He's ambitious without being obnoxious. And I don't know about you, but it just, it seems like that's hard to find these days, like ambition without, without it being a bit obnoxious and disconcerting. So this passage and other passages indicate that Paul is a super ambitious guy, um, but, but I'm not like s- s- concerned about or scared by or annoyed by his ambition because his ambition doesn't seem to be about himself. And that's what I want to camp out on. Um, for this week, because in our, in our day, it seems rare, and it seems like it might go unrewarded in our culture. So does anybody else have a love-hate ambi- relationship with ambition? Um, what is, like, on the one hand, it's great, thank God for it. On the other hand, um, un- unchecked ambition makes people, um, present company included, do stupid and sometimes hurtful things. So what's good about ambition? That's a real question. Gets you moving. Yeah, it gives you a purpose. Pardon me? Yeah, it gets you, gets you to accomplish things. Pardon me? Yeah, it's fun. It's definitely fun to have ambition. You don't, if you don't have ambition, you're not going to do anything. You're not going to get anywhere. You're not going to have hope. Uh, you're not going to have energy. You'll probably get cynical. My, uh, I had a buddy once who said, um, whenever, you get, whenever he gets down, what he does is plans a vacation. Well, that's a good word right there. Uh, because when you're feeling low, you need something to look forward to. And so planning a vacation is ambition. Um, we, John Fouché and I have this pastor's cohort. And it's how we met, actually. Um, and we, we meet with these guys a couple times a year. And when we're getting together next month. And whenever we get together, um, each guy gets like an hour or two hours underneath the bright, hot spotlight of five other pastors who know you really well and are very good at what they're doing to find out like how are things are going in your life 
um, which is super helpful, but like kind of annoying because they know you so well and they know what questions to ask you. And, um, and, and a couple times over the past few years when things are like, I mean, things have been hard the last couple of years. COVID, things are hard. And they'll, they'll, at times they've asked me, what are you looking forward to? And I'm like, dang, you caught me because I'm not sure what I'm looking forward to. And they know that's a good question because it's a hard place to be when you don't know what you're ambitious for. Now, when does ambition become a problem? Yeah, when it intersects ego. Or when your ego is, is controlling your ambition, that becomes a problem. Um, when it's aimed in the wrong direction. When someone, maybe you, is ambitious for something that you know isn't going to be good for them uh, or isn't going to help them. There was a guy, uh, 25 years ago, I was in this Bible study with this guy named Steve Rigoli. He was kind of a mentor to all of us 20-somethings. And I remember we were studying the Sermon on the Mount. I never forget this. And I've been in a million Bible studies, you know, and he pulled out his keys. And this is why I have three keys on my keychain is because of Steve Ricoli. He said, I've got a, a work key and a house key and a car key. And, and his point was, like, the more stuff you have, the more you have to take care of your stuff and the more likely it is that your stuff controls you. He's really saying, like, be careful what you're ambitious for because those ambitions end up controlling um, your life. I was reading the other day in Ecclesiastes, and there's a verse where Solomon says, Then I saw that all toil and all skill in work come from a man's envy of his neighbor. This also is vanity and a striving after the wind. And that whole book is about, like, ambition going in the wrong directions and the problems with it. And so ambition without, like, without boundaries is, like, people will compromise their values to accomplish their ambition. People, I don't know, how many, how many of you work with somebody that you think would step all over you to accomplish whatever they're trying to accomplish, um, you know, or sacrifice their family? So, ambition is complicated. And this is, what, this is what I want to say, and this is what I think comes out of this passage and some other passages about Paul. Ambition is a really good thing. Ambition is good. Misdirected ambition is dangerous, and surrendered ambition can change the world. So ambition is good. Paul was unapologetically ambition, ambitious. So listen to this passage. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in, this gospel of, in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I mention you always in my prayers, asking that somehow, by God's will, I may now at last, succeed in coming to you. So somehow and at last, those are like tells for ambition. Somehow we are going to get this done because it's that important to me. And at last, we got it done. Do you have like a somehow, I need to get this done, that you're looking forward to, or within the last few weeks or months of your life, and at last, it happened? Because those are the things that tell you what your ambition is. Um, I, I moved down here 25 years ago. I chose NC State. I chose to cheer for NC State. This is a bad decision on paper. I'm just telling you, it was. If NC State ever wins anything, that will be an at last. They finally won something, right? Like, that's a tell for your ambition. It may be, like, I got the job at last. Finally, uh, I got what I was, I was waiting for. Um, it may be, if you're a student, the semester's over and at last, I never have to see that teacher again because they're horrible, you know? Um, it may be I got into the college that I wanted to get into finally, or finally she said yes, or finally we're expecting, or finally I'm cancer-free, um, or finally we got the house, or finally, like, they came back. You know, some relationship was restored. Uh, 
And those, those are tells for ambition. He goes on, I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. So I have something that's useful to you, and I cannot wait uh, to give it to you. That is that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, yours and mine. I don't want you to be unaware that I have often intended to come to you, um, but thus have been prevented. I've made plans to do this because I've been trying to get to see you guys forever. It just hasn't worked out. Uh, And then he says, in order that I may reap some harvest among you, and I'll get to this in a minute, but this is where, like, I got an antenna that goes up that's like, what's that about, Paul? Um, have you ever felt objectified by somebody else's ambition? Have you ever felt objectified by somebody else's ambition? Uh, that's what I get concerned about. We'll be there in a minute. And then he continues, I'm, I'm under obligation, both the Greeks and barbarians, the wise and the foolish. I'm eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. And so don't, and this is for the whole book, like the context of the book, don't forget this. Rome is Rome. Rome is the center of the world at that point, you know? Um, Rome is like New York City or London or L.A. or Beijing now. Rome is, is where ambitious people want to be. Uh, in Acts, um, Paul, Luke writes, after these events, Paul, and these events were the Um, the riot in Ephesus, Paul resolved in the spirit to pass through Macedonia and Achaia, go to Jerusalem, saying, after I've been there, I must also see Rome. Like, he's been dying to do this. This is Paul's bucket list, you know. And Paul is is an ambitious guy. Last week, we looked at Paul before he came to faith in Christ. He goes through his list in, in his letter to the Philippians, about all the things he accomplished as a young man. And he's like, no one's got the resume that I have. He was taught by Gamaliel, who is the teacher that young Jewish men wanted to be taught by. He had the high priest's ear as a young man. Um, he was getting stuff done. And then he, after he came to faith in Christ, within a few years, he's in front of Peter and John, the leaders of the church, and he's in charge of taking the gospel to the Gentiles. He's ambitious. God affirms his, ambitious, his ambition. I think God picked Paul on the road to Damascus, because he knew Paul was ambitious, and like, um, I found this over time, like, people can be going 100 miles an hour away from God, but they turn and they're going 100 miles an hour towards him, and then other people are going like 15 miles an hour away from him, and they turn around, they're going 15 miles an hour towards him, and I think that's why, why God picked Paul. He wrote half the New Testament, he started all these churches, um, the Lord, when Paul is in Jerusalem trying to get to Rome, says to him, the following note, the Lord stood by him when he's in prison, says, take courage, for as you have testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, so also you must testify in Rome. Like, I got your ambition, and we're going. We're going to get there. Um, let me say this in context of ambition. God is ambitious. <laughs> like, don't forget, God is an ambitious God. For God so loved the world the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. He wants the world, he'll do whatever it takes, um, because his heart is that big for the world. He's ambitious for the world. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all I've commanded you. Make disciples of all the nations, not just Israel, all the nations. Um, Teach them to observe everything I've commanded you, and behold, I'm with you. I'm going to be with you in it. Uh, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, 
but that all should reach repentance. God is ambition, amb- ambitious. Ambition is good. And let me ask you this. Are you ambitious? Uh, I, one of the things I was convicted of this week and just made me think through the last, I don't know, whatever months or years in my life is I'm not as ambitious as I used to be. I was listening to this. Has anybody heard of Nate Bargatze? He's a comedian. I don't know if he's a Christian or not. He's super clean, and he's really funny. He's getting funnier. Each special gets funnier. And so I saw it, I saw it this week, but this clip, like, actually got me. So I think... I miss being young. Your 20s are great. You're down for whatever. Your friends call you. They're like, do you want to go? You're like, I'll go. You don't even know where you're going. You're like, I'll move, dude. I'll, I'll set my apartment on fire. What do you want to do? Your 30s come, and you're like, where are we going? How late are they open? Is it loud? I am going to drive separate. No, 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 keep going, keep going. We're going to have to listen to the whole thing over again. But it's funny, so we can do that. I miss being young. Your 20s are great. You're down for whatever. Your friends call you. They're like, do you want to go? You're like, I'll go. You don't even know where you're going. You're like, I'll move, dude. I'll I'll set my apartment on fire. What do you want to do? Your 30s come, and you're like, where are we going? How late are they open? Is it loud? I am going to drive separate. Was that all we had? Is that it? All right. He says, your 40s, you get in your 40s, I'm not going. Says, I'm not going, and I'm mad that you even thought I might go. It's funnier when he says it than when I say it, but uh, apparently the clip didn't, didn't um, come through. Like, I find that, that the older I get, now we got two kids out of the house and two kids in the house, and, like, nobody cares where, that it, if I'm home on a Tuesday night because there's less people that need to be driven around and stuff like that. And so now I've got this space to fill, but it's different. Like, I don't know, when you're young, you know, like, after you after you've, you get a little bit older, you've, your options are a little bit more limited, like things aren't as open as they were when you were in your 20s, you've had some setbacks, it's easy to settle in, and I've just been convicted about ambition, like not to settle and to renew ambition. Um, I thought about this from the end of Paul's life, and Timothy, he, he writes to Timothy, I'm already being poured out as a drink offering, the time of my departure has come, I've fought the good fight, I've finished the race, and I've kept the faith. And what I think that tells me is that he was ambitious to the end. Like he was pouring it all out. And so ambition is good and we should have ambition. And so check yourself on that. Misdirected ambition can be dangerous. So this line that I mentioned earlier, I've often intended to come to you in order that I may reap some harvest among you as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. It starts to sound like it's about Paul and it's not about the Romans. And so I ask that question, have you ever felt objectified by somebody else's ambition like you were a means to their ends? Or have you ever realized you're objectifying people with your ambition, you know? And um, I think that temptation's out there all the time. 
It doesn't have to be. Like the win-win language, that's what it is. My, the best boss I, I think I ever had was a woman, when I was in grad school, was getting a master's degree in healthcare administration and worked at Ohio State's hospital. And there's a lady named Gail Marsh that was my boss. I'll never forget her sitting me down and saying, hey, what do you, what do you want to do? I'll do it. I'll burn my apartment down. No, she said, uh, well, like, what do you want? Where do you want to get to? And how do I help you get there? And how do I put you in a position that will give you the experiences that are going to help me, but also help you to get there? And I remember being surprised by it, you know, because it seems odd. Um, if I could categorize this for a second, maybe that there's um, self-centered ambition and other-centered ambition and God-centered ambition. And those three, like there's, is this a Venn diagram? Okay. I don't do much with that type of stuff. That's what I thought it was, though. I'm proud of myself. Um, but so there's self-centered ambition where it's just kind of what I want, you know. There's other-centered ambition that's probably about a specific group of people in my life, like if you have family, and you're all people, so you got family, like, you know, um, folks get older, you need some other-centered ambition towards your parents. Um, if you got siblings, you, there's other-centered ambition. If you have a spouse, you better have some other-centered ambition. If you have kids, like, you realize quickly they're going to die if you don't take care of them. So there's some other-centered ambition towards them, you know. Um, hopefully, if you're a boss, if you're a teacher, um, you know, like, you've just got other-centered ambition for the people uh, around you. And I think other-centered ambition, if it's going to last, probably has to come out of God-centered ambition. These things don't work great together, so don't think too much about it. But, and then God-centered ambition. And I thought about Jesus saying, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and accomplish his work. Like his ambition, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and accomplish his work, was for the, for the, the good of the, his father's kingdom. Like that's what his ambition was. I thought, like, in what ways does our culture steer our ambitions? Um, how many of you get a bonus at the end of the year at work if you do a good job? Uh, like, that's rightfully your culture trying to steer your ambition towards do your job well, and you'll get rewarded for it. And that can be pretty motivating, right? How do advertisers steer our ambitions? Do advertisers steer our ambitions? That is their sole job, right? And they tend to steer them by saying, you're, you're a bit of a loser, and your life kind of stinks, but if you buy our product, um, things are going to turn around from you. It'll all be great, and, you know, and so this is what's going to fix your life. Um, that's the job of a, an advertiser. They're, they're all trying to steer our ambitions towards a self-centered ambition so they can accomplish their ambitions. Uh, if you're ambition, ambitious in the United States, like where do ambitious people really want to go to school? NC State. Yeah! <laughs> NC State. Well played. The Ivy League, right? That's like the pinnacle of wherever you want to go. Um, where do they want to move? New York City. L.A., yeah, what do they want to do? Yeah, make lots of money. Uh, Google, yeah, tech. Or I remember an article a few years ago about in the Ivy League, how all the students were switching from science. Over the, over the years, had switched from science to finance, knowing they could go to New York City, work 20 hours a week for 20 hours a, a day for a few years, and just make a fortune um, in in 
finance. Uh, what are people ambitious for? Money, fame, status, power, sex. Uh, Kevin was in Vegas last for his work a couple weeks ago and deals with high-performing realtors, right? And was at some, some conference speaker guy, and the guy said, if your family is getting in the way of you accomplishing your ambitions, just stop talking to them. Just, like, cut them off. Like, really said it. And that's it. Like, if, if your other-centered ambition is in the way of your self-centered ambition, then just, like, just get rid of that circle. Um, so this is what we deal with it all the time. Misdirected ambition has been a problem for a long time. Genesis chapter 3, but the serpent said to the woman. <laughs> so Adam and Eve are in the garden. Um, God has created them and told them they're very good. There's a, um, the tree of life and then the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And God has said, hey, if you eat of that tree of the knowledge of good and evil, like, it will lead to death. So don't do that. Just trust me on this one. And the serpent says, you will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened. You will be like God, knowing good and evil. And, man, I've thought about that verse a lot over the years and what the, what the, what the, the temptation is because it's the same one today. It's the same thing today. He's saying he won't, God won't be the only one that knows good and evil once you eat of it, and he won't be able to control you anymore. Like, that's the lie. God doesn't love you. God loves himself, and he wants to control you, and you are better off on your own, you in control. That is the, the heart of unchecked, misdirected ambition. You will be like God. You'll know what's best. You'll be in control. You will not be accountable to anyone. You will be exalted. That's what we want, fame, recognition. You will be exalted. People will want to be like you. They'll want to live where you live, drive what you drive, travel where you travel, look like you look. They'll want their kids to be like your kids. And in, in that sense, people will worship you, and you will be God. That's the heart of misdirected, unchecked ambition. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, it was a delight to the eyes, it was desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. And the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. Um, this has been the, this ambition, misdirected, unchecked ambition has been the problem from the beginning. His audience was Rome. Rome was the pinnacle of ambition. Here are some things I read about Rome over the past few uh, months. She was the eternal city which had given the world peace, the fount of law, the center of civilization, the mecca of poets and orators and artists, and a home of every kind of idolatrous worship. Another writer wrote how pitiless Rome was. Amid all the ruins of her cities, we find none of a hospital. None of an orphan school in an age that made many orphans. The pious aspirations and efforts of individuals never seemed to have touched the conscience of the people. It was all self-centered ambition and not other-centered ambition. Rome had no conscience. She was a lustful, devouring beast, made more bestial by her intelligence and her splendor. That's, that's who he's writing to. Uh, they live in, in this city. It was the rich, uh, another author says, it was the rich who were seen as the favorites of the divine world, their wealth being the visible proof of that favor. The poor could not pray for help from the gods because they were poor. For their poverty was a disadvantage in their contact with the gods. This was the implication of the common belief that the poor were morally inferior to the rich. 
They were often regarded as more readily inclined to do evil, and for that reason, their poverty was commonly seen as their own fault. No wonder that um, they were not seen as people deserving help and that no organized charity developed in ancient Greece or Rome. In such societies, giving alms to the poor could not be seen as a virtue as care for them was often regarded as a mere waste of resources. Ambition was about self, and that's where they were living. Part of the reason the church grew so much in the early centuries is that their ambition was other-centered because it was God-centered, and God pushed them to be other-centered, and that was such a stark contrast to Rome. And so when the plagues came, the rich went off to their estates in the country and left the poor to die, and the church stayed with them and died with them if they needed to be, but cared for them, and just their care changed the way um, that the plagues went through the city. Uh, now, is all, is all self-centered ambition bad? Should you not want to raise a promotion, a new car? I don't think so. Paul, we could throw two verses from Paul. Paul might. So in Philippians, Paul says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or, or vain conceit, but in humility count others as more significant from, than yourselves. So maybe. But Paul also writes this to Timothy. He says, As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be arrogant, not to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but to set their hopes on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. That's such a big verse. Like, God gives us all the stuff. Like, God wants us to enjoy it. But then the very next line, they are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. Like, always holding the stuff loosely and knowing how God's going to want to use you to bless others with the things that he's given you. Thus, storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so they may take hold of that which is truly life. I think that's always it. Like our self-centered ambitions like, is the illusion that this is truly life. If we can get those things, then they're truly life. And Paul says truly life is in the God-centered and other-centered ambition category. And so what we're called to do is fully surrender our self-centered ambitions to our God-centered ambitions, which is probably going to lead them to be other-centered ambitions. Let me talk about the church and ambition Um, for a minute. The church, I think, has been besieged recently by misdirected ambition. Uh, I always say this, I don't think anyone starts a church with completely self-centered ambition. It would take a certain kind of monster to do that, but I also don't think anyone starts a church with completely God-centered ambition, like without their ego involved in it. Um, At least that's what I hear. Uh, No, like no humans, that was a joke, no humans are perfect, you know. Um, And so everyone starts a church with some element of self-centered ambition, but but I think God quickly points that out. It's a matter of what you do with it and how quickly you recognize it and if you lament it and try and kill it and confess it and repent of it and surrender it. And I've had good friends who I believe have justified bad ministry because they can't tell the difference between self-centered ambition and God-centered ambition. And friends that I think have gotten swallowed up by the success of their ministry and the expectations of others when they should have realized what was happening and backed away from it and turned it over to someone else. I found this quote um, this week, and, it, and the guy that put it out there is the pastor in New York that I put his podcast in the weekly a few weeks ago, um, John Tyson, but it's Henry Nowen. He said, most Christian leadership is exercised by people who do not know how to develop healthy, intimate relationships and have opted for power and control instead. That's a scary quote. Many Christian empire builders have been people unable to give and to receive love. In the past six months, um, three people that are relatively new to the church, in different conversations and not directly, have like questioned my ambition, and rightfully. Like, I'm glad they did it. 
but it's like they're nervous about ambition and want to make sure um, that it's pointed in the right direction. In our culture, it feels like we're just coached right now to seek our fulfillment by satisfying our desires. If it feels right, do it. If it feels right for you, who, do, who am I to say that it's wrong? Um, what you feel is who you are right now. And I don't know, if God doesn't exist, that may all be true, but I think God has something to say about it, you know? And I think we're lost in a sea of selfish ambition dressed up as something else. And I think that's what's led to the isolation and the division and what one author I read this week called the unprecedented levels of depression and anxiety and never satisfied longings for affirmation that we are experiencing. And I think this is a bit of what Jesus meant when he said you need to lose your life in order to find your life. Like you think it's in those self-centered ambitions, but it's in the God-centered and other-centered ambitions that you're going to find out what you're really made for. So misdirected ambition is dangerous. Surrendered ambition, like our ambitions surrendered to the Lord, that's what's going to change the world. Paul had surrendered that. And my guess is that it was not easy for Paul to do that. My guess is that Paul was the type of guy that every room he walked into thought, I can fix this. You know what I mean? You ever met someone like that? Are you somebody like that? Uh, are you sitting next to somebody like, you know, and I'm thankful for, for folks like that, um, that think that, because we need it, you know what I mean? But it's got to be surrendered, and I think Paul was that guy, um, but you can see by his words where his heart is, and this is, again, what stuck, stuck out to me about this passage. So, so back to the passage. First, I thank God through Jesus Christ for all of you. Like, arrogant people aren't gratitude isn't one of their primary things. You know what I mean? I thank God through Christ for every one of you. Um, I've tried to do better and, and pretty good just every week praying through um, the church like roster by name. And so often it's just, man, I'm just thankful for those people. Uh, and that, you know, it's, that sets you in the place where you're supposed to be because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. Um, that's a disarming statement to a group of people, most of whom he doesn't know at all, to say, and for Paul to say to you, like Paul, this is Paul, Paul's faith is proclaimed throughout all the world. He started all these churches, you know, but for him to say, hey, you guys might not realize this, but people everywhere are talking about the faith of that church in Rome. And again, he's either um, buttering them up or building them up, right? And I don't think he's buttering them up. I think he's building them up um, because his ambition for them is genuine. Um, for God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his son, that without ceasing, I mention you always in my prayers. A another disarming statement. Like, I don't know if that's when people tell me they're praying for me. Like, that's, like, I'm really grateful for that, you know. But it does something to you. So for Paul to be praying for him all the time, that but somehow by God's will, I may now at last succeed in coming to you. I can't wait to see you. This uh, pastor's cohort that John and I are part of, we're getting together next week in Memphis, and last week we were texting about that, and one guy just texted, I.can't.wait.for.memphis, and he just can't wait. And this is the Philadelphia guy, the boisterous guy, like, just the genuine emotion, and that's a disarming thing when someone says that to you, and I just think it's, it's true. Um, his heart is for them. I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you, but then... He says, and this is probably the first thing that caught me about this passage, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. It's not just I have something for you, 
But Paul, the leader of the church, you know, says, I know you have something for me. And that type of mutuality in the relationship, again, is a, is a surrendered ambition. Um, I said a couple weeks ago, and we'll keep saying this, our, our mission as a church is helping you come to know and follow Jesus. And so we took those words, come, know, follow, and help. Come, know, follow, and help for the year. And like, come on Sunday mornings. We really think if you're in town, it's a Sunday morning, and it's raining out. I'm going to be honest with you. Over the years, I've noticed that attendance drops a little bit when it rains, and I think that's pretty lame. But, uh, but good job getting here this morning. And if you're on video, like, good job tuning in, okay? Uh, but if, if you're here on Sunday mornings, because the church is built up through the, through the routine, the liturgy of Sunday mornings, and, and the time together, and worshiping together, and all those things. So come on Sunday mornings. Know each other through group life. And what we talked about there is, like, we need content, and we need... Um, uh, meaningful relationships. And meaningful relationships are relationships that are safe but not too safe. Like safe and that you can tell people anything, but not so safe that they're not going to challenge you about stuff. And you need that if you're going to grow spiritually. And that happens in context of the church. And this is a picture of it. Like I've got something to give to you, but I know you've got something to give to me. Our home group guys got together on Tuesday night. And some weeks we get together and like we just kind of hang out. But then other weeks something happens. And something happened this week. Because some guys needed something to happen. You know what I mean? But it's a mutual relationship, and that's what he's showing, and that's what you need. Come, know, follow Jesus by serving one place well, and uh, help a friend discover Jesus, our focuses um, for this year. And so that's, he's got these meaningful relationships. Um, there's so many people here that, like, over the years, like, I kind of started out as the pastor, but now they pastor me. And when I meet with them, I'm just, I meet with them to be encouraged by their faith. And the way they live their lives kind of blows, blows me away because of the faith that I know they have in Christ. He says at the end of this, in order that I may reap a harvest among you um, as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. But you take all the other things in and like you know that's about the kingdom. Like he wants the kingdom to go forward and he is not gonna be, he's not going to be apologetic about that. And he wants to do that side by side with them. And that's the attitude we should have towards each other. And finally, I'm under obligation to the Greeks and the barbarians. I'm under obligation to preach the gospel. That is a God-centered ambition. That's an ambition surrendered to the Lord. Like, this is what I'm called to do, and it's what I'm going to do. Um, and it's an ambition that's centered on, on others. Um, and it actually doesn't end in Rome. He says he wants to go on to Spain. So ambition is good. Misdirected ambition is dangerous. Surrendered ambition will change the world. The key to taming your selfish ambitions is to fully comprehend the degree to which you are the object of God's ambitions. The key to surrendering those selfish ambitions is to fully comprehend the degree to which you are the object of God's ambitions. Um, once we get that, that a lot of our selfish ambitions present themselves as truly life, but they're not. Truly life is what Kelly was talking to us about when she was up here leading worship. Like, like it doesn't always feel like he's all we need, but he, but he is. And the degree to which we can, we can get there, you know. God so loved his, this world that he sent his only begotten son for you. That is, we say that some version of that every week we preach the gospel. And so it gets like routine. But man, that is unbelievable. Um, the God that created the heavens and the earth, the fact that that God is personal is like beyond me, you know? 
and yet we're personal, so it makes total sense that God would be personal. It'd be hard to believe that God's impersonal and we could be personal, but that blows me away every time I think about it. That God wove you together in your mother's womb, has the hairs on your head numbered, knows your words before they come out of your mouth and your steps before you take them. Does that not blow you away? Because it ought to. Um, that God, while you were yet a sinner, he died for you. When you wanted nothing to do with him, when you were living completely in that self-centered ambition circle, uh, when you wanted to be God, he pursued you. And the death that was foreshadowed in all these stories in the Old Testament for thousands of years took place with Jesus, and Jesus on the cross took your unrighteousness. And that's a lot. And all of our unrighteousness, and everybody's unrighteousness, on himself, and gave us his righteousness. So that we can stand righteous before the Father with the righteousness of Christ by faith, not our righteousness. And our sins are as far as the east is from the west. Like, what a thing to say to us. How far is the east from the west? I don't know. Pretty far. <laughs> and your sins are, they were scarlet, now they're white as snow. You, the temple was in the Old Testament. You're the temple. And the Holy Spirit resides in us right now. And we will spend an eternity with this God. Whatever our ambitions, our self-centered ambitions are, they pale in comparison to what we already have in Christ. And the more that amazes us, like the more that self-centered ambition will dissolve because we realize what we already have. This is where the letter of Romans goes. In a few weeks, we exchange the truth of God for a lie and worship the created things instead of the creator. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. Nothing can separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. In 12, therefore, present your bodies a living sacrifice, which is your spiritual act of worship. And the only thing that makes sense, given all that's true about you and God and his relationship with you. The, the degree to which we take that in is the way that we dissolve those selfish ambitions. Let me say a, a word about um, Oak City Church. And like I said, people have questioned, um, not question my, but just ambition. We've had conversations about it, and I really appreciate it. Um, Oak City Church, I've told people this over the last, since sabbatical really, is a dream come true for me in a lot of ways. Because I've been here for 16 years, and I've known some of you for 16 years, and I've seen God do some crazy things, and it's awesome. I remember when we started the church, probably within the first year, the advisory board was having a conversation about the future. And, and I, I remember saying, like, man, I, I'll, I just want to pastor this church for like 30 years and then be done with stuff, you know? Uh, because there were some guys in Columbus that had pastored a church called Xenos for that long. And, like, that's the only ambition that I had. Now, that was before some difficult things took place. Over 15 years, some difficult things have happened. I would say it's a dream come true, but not my wildest dreams come true, because I had some pretty wild dreams. And not all of those wild dreams were in the God-centered circle or the other-centered circle. They were in the Jeff-centered circle, you know, and things that I had to surrender um, to the Lord. And there's been a few seasons that, like, haven't been a dream come true, been maybe a little bit of a nightmare because they've gotten really hard. That being said, like, I want to see the church grow because we live in a city with a lot of people who don't know and follow Jesus, and they're living lives out of that self-centered, futile, ambitious circle, and it's not good for them, and it's not good for the people around them, and it's not good for the city. And I can say this with all sincerity, I've probably told you this at some point if you spent some time with me, like my de deepest ambitions are just seeing God change people's lives. That's why you get into ministry in the first place, and I remember telling God when I got into ministry, if that ever changes, I need to quit and do something else. 
Um, there's a line in, in Philippians where Paul tells the church they are his joy. And if you're a teacher, like, your kids should be your joy. You know, if you're a boss, seeing your employees do well should be your joy. It could be the nature of your job, too. But, the, but seeing people's lives be turned around, seeing people's marriages be turned around, pe- seeing people, like, delivered from addiction, seeing people just in little ways in their lives surrender their ambitions to the Lord, seeing people's children come to the Lord, knowing that generations of families will have been changed. That is slow, meticulous, at times painstaking work, but there's nothing more satisfied, nothing more satisfying than seeing that happen. And that's not, that's not, we've talked about this planting and watering and feeding and pruning and whatever, and then waiting for God to do the work. That's not what I've done. That's what God has done and I get to be a part of and you get to be a part of. We get to be a part of it together. Um, That's the ambition is to see like more people just have their lives changed by surrendering their ambitions to the Lord and following him. Um, And so, uh, yeah, we'd love for the church to grow. Honestly, I don't want the church to grow past the point where I know everybody's name. Maybe that's a Jeff-centered ambition. But I heard a pastor say a few years ago, he would rather a city have 10 churches of 500 than one church of 5,000. And I was like, I totally get that. And he said, cities need churches of 5,000 because churches of 5,000 can do some things that churches of 500 can't. Um, But that's just, I'd love to be a small church where people know each other and are involved in each other's lives and God is doing things to change people's lives and draw people closer to him. Um, Ambition, ambition is good. We need ambition. Be ambitious. One of the things I thought about this week is that I, I've kind of cracked on bucket lists over the years, but maybe I need a bucket list. Um, a surrendered bucket list, but a bucket list to shoot for. So be ambitious. Be spiritually ambitious. When he says he wants to reap a harvest in the lives of the people around him, when he says he has something to give to them, but also wants something to receive, like have that attitude towards each other, that God has us in each other's lives, and God has you in the lives of the people around you um, because he's got something that he's going to give them through you. And don't shy away from that. Um, but also know, don't put yourself above anybody and know that you, you are there to receive as well. Beware your ambition. Surrender your ambitions. Let's confess our ambitions to each other in the context of those meaningful relationships and maybe critique our lack of ambition if that's what needs to happen. And let's leave our biggest ambitions to the Lord. So I'm going to finish with this quote from John Stott. The band can come back up. We're going to take communion in a minute. The way that we do that here at Oak City Church is... Um, uh, my wife and I this morning will be the ones that are up here offering communion. And so you can, you can during these next few signs, like kind of file down this aisle. Um, and, uh, and I'll say this is the, the body of Christ broken for you. And my wife will say this is the blood of Christ shed for you. And you, you can just take that or you can say thanks be to God or amen or whatever you want to say. Really, it doesn't, you don't need to say anything. Um, but if you, have, if you have accepted who Christ is and what he's done for you and your need for that, then we invite you to take communion with us this morning. Uh, if you haven't, if that all just sounds like news to you, and, um, and you realize that your relationship with Christ has been about what you do for him and not what he's done for you, then that's, that's the difference between grace and law and works, is that our relationship with him is based on what he's done for us. And so your surrender to him is receiving uh, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. And it's a gift that we can't earn that he offers to us. And we'd love for you to receive that gift. Uh, to come into relationship with Christ through his work for you and, uh, and to let us help you with that.
So this is, this is my last um, word. I read this quote probably a few years ago, and it stuck with me. Ambitions for self may be quite modest. Ambitions for God, however, if they are to be worthy, can never be modest. There's something inherently inappropriate about cherishing small ambitions for God. How can we ever be content that we should acquire just a little more honor, that he should acquire just a little more honor in the world? No, once we're clear that God is king, then we long to see him crowned with glory and honor and accorded his true place, which is the supreme place. We become ambitious for the spread of his kingdom and his righteousness everywhere. Father, thank you for Paul's ambition that we are here in part because you chose Paul and Paul was an ambitious guy and Paul surrendered his ambitions to you and trusted you and you used him and, and spread the good news of Jesus all over that, that part of the world, Lord, and did amazing things. God, may we, be, may we surrender our ambitions to you. May we realize that our ambitions are just, are just wood, hay, and stubble that are gonna burn up, most of them, Lord, and realize um, that, that we were the object of your ambition, Lord. And that love that you have for us is the thing that's gonna transform us and transform the people around us. May we give ourselves to that. May we give ourselves to you, Lord. We love you and pray this in Jesus' name.